Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Good morning. Good to see you guys here this morning. Hey, I just wanted to introduce a friend, Juan and Leslie in the back. They're pastors from L.A. here that, um, raise your hand, Juan and the fan in the back there. Um, they're visiting us this morning. We have been in partnership um, as you as a church planner and New Vision's kind of been the sending church and help us to develop and partner with them as they're planning a church in, in L.A., you know, we're about multiplication, we're about growing, we're about development, and I've been coaching and working with Juan for the last couple of months, and they've really desired to want to do this, so we're going to be a part of them launching a church uh, in, in L.A. To, to see the kingdom expand, so I just, they're here visiting us this morning, um, so welcome when you see them uh, later this morning, is uh, we're, we're just going to be about the Father's business in this place, amen? Hey, open up your Bibles to the Gospel of John, the, the fourth chapter, we're going through the Gospel of John sermon series called Believe. My, my sermon title this morning is Bridges Not Barriers. It's going to be part one. It's a two-part as we look at chapter four of John. We're going to look for the first part of the story uh, this morning. So John chapter four, look at verses one through 26 this morning. I know many have been praying and watching the war with Russia and the Ukraine. And we know that lives have been lost because men have put of barriers rather than put together bridges. And when one goes to war, there's a strategy to war, if you don't know that. The strategy is one they want, to where they want to destroy communication systems. They want to gain power and, and destroy the power source. And they want to destroy bridges so people cannot move around. That's a strategy of an enemy. But I want you to understand this morning that there is also a cultural war that's going on. Just like a war that's going on in Europe. And it has a very same similar strategy, right? It has put up walls and destroyed bridges. We've used violence as a means to gain power. We have, we have a council culture that refuses to dialogue when there's a disagreement. And we have a culture that wants peace, justice, and goodness without God. And so we're looking at this battle that, that's going on. So as we enter into chapter 4 of the Gospel of John, Jesus is breaking down the walls of hostility. He doesn't have a, a cancered culture. He doesn't cancel people out. He doesn't assimilate into the culture. He's not dismayed by what he sees, but he's breaking the traditions and hostility of men. He is a bridge builder for spiritual and racial reconciliation in order to usher in the kingdom of God. Come on, come on. And you're going to see that in chapter 4 as, as Jesus begins to enter in some new territory, right? He's, he's moving, right? As we've been journeying through the gospel of John, he's making a bunch of introductions. In chapter 1, we see Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We see Jesus as the miracle worker as we see the first miracle in chapter 2 and as we see the water turn to wine in chapter 2. In chapter 3, we see him introduce Nicodemus who comes tonight to Jesus and Jesus talks to him about being born again. Now, in chapter 4, we're going to be introduced to the Samaritan woman this morning who needs a touch from God, who's, who's walked away in some ways from the understanding of, of who God is. But if, we, if you've noticed as we've gone through the Gospel of John, everywhere Jesus went, he left an impression. Yes, he did. People either loved him, people either hated him, or people didn't know what to do with him. <laughs> and you might find yourself in one of these three categories this morning. But as Jesus is drawing in this Samaritan woman, I'm hoping he's going to draw you in this morning draw you into this relationship no matter where you are with God whether you're a seeker where you're, you're struggling with God whether you're a believer God meets us right where we're always at to draw us into this intimate relationship with him for that is the gospel the gospel is to know God the gospel is to have a relationship with God and we're going to see that this morning so let's let's read we're going to read it we're going to cover 26 verses this morning I know that's a lot we'll get through that but I wanted to read it, chapter 4, starting at verse 1. It says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made, Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, 
He left Judea and departed again to Galilee. He needed to go through Samaria, so he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob well was there, and Jesus therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to her, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and this well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from him it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give will become him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have, you have well said, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the, and the one whom you have now is not your husband, is that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Let's pray. Father, have we just pray this morning as we enter worship through your word. We pray this morning that your spirit would speak. We pray this morning that you would move. We pray this morning that you would touch us right where we're at, Lord. And so I pray for those in this house this morning. Father, open up our hearts and our minds that may we hear from the Lord, from the word of the Lord. For we find life in his word. We found living water in his word. Father, we want to drink of the clean well this morning. The well that provides pure water. That changes us and transforms us. We pray this morning that we're drinking out of right cisterns, Lord. Not too polluted, contaminated water, but the water of your word. And so we thank you, we praise you, we honor you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. We're going to look at a couple things this morning as we're entering in about building bridges and not barriers this morning. Number one, if we want to build bridges and not barriers, we have to boldly go beyond our comfort zone. We have to go beyond our comfort zone uh, this morning. And that's what Jesus is going to do with the disciples, right? William Booth, the, the chaplain during the Civil War and the founder of, of um, the Salvation Army, was walking with his son, who was about 12 or 13 years old, one Sunday morning. And as he was walking to him, he was burdened. He took his son into a bar, into a saloon at that time. And they walked in, and, and he watched, and he talked to his son as he watched. A lot of people, they were drinking, they were drunk, the ladies were flirting with one another. He could smell the alcohol, he could smell the cigarettes that were going on in that place. And Sr., William Booth Sr., turns to his son and says, these are the people I want you to pray for, and these are the people I want you to share Christ with. And then Jesus, we know, said the great words. He said what? I did not come for the sick. I did not come for the healthy, but I came for the sick. For the healthy do not need the doctor, but the sick. Amen. And so what we're going to see this morning is that Jesus is going to go to an area that nobody liked to go into. Jesus is going to a region that they actually avoided. The Jews actually avoided, but he's going to take some people and his disciples into a region that they normally didn't go to. But prior to going into that region, Jesus was on a, a mission to make disciples. He was preparing people in order to go into that region. In fact, if you look at verses 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples. He opens up chapter 4 with therefore. And therefore is therefore a reason, right? 
It's, it's coming off the backdrop of chapter 3. We studied chapter 3 last week, right? In chapter 3, there was a, a dispute that took place about the issues of purification, really about the issues of baptism. John's baptism and Jesus' baptism. And, and John's disciple was bringing dispute that, hey, hey, a lot of people are going to Jesus and they're not going to John. And so there could have been a great division going on. But what did John do? He didn't allow that division to take place. He actually said, no, this is good because we're here to promote Jesus. He's the one we're to lift up. And so with that, he is to increase while we decrease. And, if, and that is a, a famous saying out of John chapter 3, verse 30. But what do you see here? That Jesus' testimony is growing, right? He's in a work. He's in the area of Judea. He's, he's, it's flourishing. He's baptizing, right? The, the, the people are coming to know Jesus. And the religious leaders, the Pharisees, saw this, and they actually troubled them. Because they were all about Caesar, the Pharisees. They're all about their own faith and about the works and about the law. And now you have this new rabbi who people are starting to be drawn to, and he's baptizing, and they recognize the work that he was doing. These Pharisees, who were really conservative Jews, were troubled. But in the work in Judea, he's making disciples, the scripture says. He's baptizing people. The, the kingdom is growing, the work is just expanding, right? The Bible says here that, that Jesus didn't baptize, but the disciples did the baptism. And I can imagine Jesus standing there by the shores that the disciples are baptizing these converts that are coming in, in the name of Jesus, and, and they're seeing these different things, right? But it says that Jesus is making disciples. The word disciples means student. It means pupil. It means learner. He had the 12 disciples. You'll, yet all the 12 are not at the entire taking place. There's about six here. We're going to get, they'll add more as he goes. But he had 12 disciples that would later become apostles. Disciples were students and learners and followers of Jesus, but he trained them to be apostles, which means to be sent out, right? So we start as learners in order to be sent out. Juan is being sent out. He has an apostolic call on his life, but he's learning as a disciple in order to be an apostolic leader in L.A. in order to grow the church. So we have to learn and sit at the feet of Jesus in order to grow and learn and develop. Then God will place us in the ministries and the places that we yeah. need to serve. And then he'll be able to have it. And it might just be your own home. Come on. It may not be something big. It might just start something small. But there was a work going on in Judea as he's making disciples. And in fact, it says that he tarried there in chapter 3. Meaning that he might have been there because of the harvest, he said, was in four months. Meaning that he probably was in Judea about four to six months doing this work. Planning himself and working and caring for the people and praying for people. Most likely healing people and baptizing. And though it never says that he's done already a work and he started to do this work in Judea. Jesus is calling each of us to a discipleship relationship with him. That we would grow on him and learn of him and walk with him. That's what he's calling us to this morning. Our region is City Heights and, and Rolando and Oak Park and Kensington. This is the region by which God has called us to do. And he, we're going to do a great work in that region. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the thing here, Lord, is... God is growing this region. He, he's going to, he, now he's going to go to a new frontier where no man has gone before, right? Guys, we're to do the same. We're to meet and pray for our neighbors, right? Invite them over to your house. Invite them over for a meal, a barbecue. Do you even know your neighbors? Do you even know the neighbors to your right? And do you even know their names? We live in a, we live in a community that builds walls. It may not be walls. We call it fences. We don't live in a community that shares anymore. We don't live in a community that knows its neighbors. Do you know your neighbors? That's my challenge to you because that's the first barrier you want to bridge you want to build is with your neighbors. To know them, right? This community here, this community, City Heights and Oak Park and Rolando and Kensington are areas of one of the most diverse communities in San Diego. We don't need to go to the nations. The nations that come to us. We just have to recognize, and Jesus recognized that there was more work that needed to be done. And so Jesus must make a way for all believers. 
And that's what he does. That's why he says in verse 3 and 4, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. Now, notice the journey here. I'm going to take you on a little journey geographically because you have to see what's going on because sometimes we can read the scriptures, but I want you to visualize the journey that Jesus is on. You know, in the Middle East or in Israel, there's the Sea of Galilee, there's the Jordan, and then there's the Dead Sea. Those are the big significant area. Those are cues, right? It says that he started in the Sea of Galilee in chapter 1. So he's up in the northern part where he's introduced. Then he goes to Cana of Galilee, which is just a little city outside the sea there where he did the miracle. Then he says, what, I have to go through Capernaum quickly in order to go to Jerusalem. And so you have him up in the northern part. He stays communion, passes through there, and he goes to Jerusalem. Chapter 3, he's in Jerusalem. He's there for the Passover. He went from north to south. Right now, he's near the Dead Sea in Jerusalem. And then he says, I got to go to the region of Judea. So he pops outside of Jerusalem to the region of Judea, right? That's where he's doing the work we're talking about, baptizing, making disciples. But then he says, I must go through Samaria. And then he starts heading back north because he's heading toward back to Cana of Galilee where he's going to do his second miracle. Do you see? It's like this. It's going down, then it's going back up. If you go all the way back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, what? You're going to be my witnesses. I'm going to give power upon you, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts. Jesus was giving us a visual things of what he was going to tell the church to do. Actually, if you look in the context of where we are, we are the uttermost parts. Because it started back in the Middle East and moved our way, and we are. But we have our own Jerusalem. We have our own Judea. We have our own Samaria. Our own Jerusalem is our own house, our own community, our own neighborhoods. And then it's our state. Then it's our nation. And then it's our world. That's where we do as a church. That's why in our, the other parts for us is the work we do in Ethiopia, is the work we do in Uganda, is the work we've done around the world with our ministries. But we start here, and we have this is our Antioch. This is our plan. This is where we go to go out. Jesus said, I must go through Samaria. Why? Because he knew he had a divine appointment waiting for him. This was very strategic, yet very unorthodox by Jesus. Why? Because Jews hated Samaritans. Jews hated Samaritans. Samaritans were a, a, a mixed race. They were half Jews and half Gentiles. And because they were half Jew, Jews and Gentiles, the Jews hated Samaritans. There was racial tension going on for who they were, right? Where did, where did these Samaritans come from? Well, remember, you had Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons, and then they split into two kingdoms. There was the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Ten of the northern, two in the southern Think about it that way. Because the Israelites didn't obey God, God had made it take captivity under captivity under unbelieving kings. So the Assyrians came to the northern kingdom and took the ten tribes away. They were supposed to be worshiping God, but they went away from God, went away from worshiping. So God put them to discipline them under unbelieving kings, which was the northern kingdom, which the Assyrians ended up taking over. And they took over the people that were the smartest and, and the best, and they left the poor, the uneducated, the marginalized in that region. And then they planted these pagan societies, suicides, and they would intermarry with each other. And then they would begin to be a mixed race, which brought the Hebrew or the Jewish culture, philosophy, or faith with other pagan faiths together. And they would worship on a mountain named Mount Gerizim, which Jesus is going to address in a moment in this chapter. But they begin to worship and they begin to mix different faiths together. They were kind of universalistic, putting all these gods together. They even built a, a, a temple or a, a, a worship on Mount Gerizim later that Jews would later destroy in 128 AD. He would destroy it, and they would even make them even angry. So now there's this tension between Jews and Samaritans, racial tensions, spiritual tensions, all these tensions going on. That's what's happened here. And yet Jesus said, I must go through Samaria. I must stop building walls and start building bridges. What is the area that you must go to in order to build a bridge? Not hostility, not any other things. We live in a hostile world, a violent world, right? In fact, the Jews hated the Samaritans like Jonah hated the Ninevites. The difference is one prophet ran from God and the other one said, I must go through Samaria. 
You see that here. So Jesus' mission was to go into a region to break down the barriers so they could hear the, the mission of the gospel. He would break down ethnic barriers, caste barriers, caste barriers, gender barriers, so the gospel of the kingdom would be heard. That's what he did. We want peace. We want reconciliation. It's only through Jesus. We want peace on the streets. It's only Jesus. He's the unifier. And so he went to a place that was uncomfortable. Guys, you're called as a church. We are called as a church to go to places that are uncomfortable. To neighborhoods that you might be scared of. To places that, no, we can't be there. God, we're planning to City Heights. We're planning to cancel. We want to plant in Body of Logan. We want to plant in neighborhoods because the gospels are needed in those neighborhoods. That's what we're doing. Some of you might think, whoa, those neighborhoods are pretty scary because the light has to overcome the darkness. Those are the neighborhoods we're going to, to plant churches and do work. But what's going on is he's moving into Samaria. We get into verses 5 to 19. He starts to break down some barriers, right? He's starting to break down some barriers. When he begins to talk about living water and, and desires. In fact, man is threefold being. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 says he's body, soul, and spirit. So there's a physical thirst. There's emotional thirst. Uh, there's, uh, I'm sorry, there's physical thirst, emotional thirst, and spiritual thirst. So humanity as a whole, we as people have desires to quench. We have thirst in our lives. That's why when you hear the commercials on TV like Sprite says, quench your thirst, right? Obey your thirst. You're going to have freedom from your thirsts. Like they're even, they, they know they're, they're appealing to our thirst, our desires in those commercials. We know that water is key to life. We can go without food for a while, but we cannot go without water. But we also know there's a lot of different types of water out there, right? There's salt water, there's bubbly water, there's, there's carbonated water. If you look at those types of water, all those types of water will do will only make you more thirsty. Some people have been drinking from that type of water and they're trying to feed their desires to quench it, but they can't. See, let me tell you, physical thirst will never be quenched. Life achievements will never quench your thirst. Your relationship with others will never quench your thirst. Getting all you want and all your desires will never quench your thirst. In fact, education will never quench your thirst. You can have all the education you want, but it's not going to quench your thirst. Right? Religion won't quench your thirst. You can go to church or being a good person or being a moralist and helping those less fortunate, though that's all good, will not quench your thirst. Being in this room will not quench your thirst. Thirst has to be quenched from within, not without. That is why Jesus is talking about living water in the passage. Water that comes from above. This water is living water that springs up in you. And so he gets into a conversation about water. We want to break down words. We've got to talk about this living water. But what does he do? I love this because if you're listening to this, listen to this. I want you to watch as he slowly breaks down the barriers to share the gospel. He's not bringing the four laws. He's not saying you got to jump through this hoop. you got to go to this place. you got to live this way. He begins to draw the Samaritan woman in, in a process of relationship and in a process of conversation. See, that's how we share. Evangelism is conversational. It's just talking with people about faith issues. And that's exactly what Jesus is going to do in the story, right? So he begins to breaking the, the barriers of defense of five through nine. Look what it says here. So he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sikar, near the plot ground that Jacob gave to his son. Now Jacob well was there, and Jesus therefore being wearied from his journey sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour, and a woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealing with Samaritans. Guys, when you want to share your faith, the first thing you want to do here, guys, is that you have to find a common ground. Breaking barriers start with a common ground. That's what you see in verses 5 and 6, right? Come on. It says they came to the area of Samaria, a place called uh, Sychar, which is the 
ancient area, what we call Shechem, the region where Shechem was, right? It was the capital city of Samaria, a.k.a. our modern West Bank today, if we look at our, our map today. There, there was a common ground that Jesus wanted to bring this woman to. He's at this well. He's in this neighborhood. Shechem had very great history in the Bible, right? Abraham was given a promise of becoming a great nation in Genesis chapter 12, 6, 7 in Shechem. That you're going you're to have a great nation and out of your loins is going to be a great nation, right? Jacob brought, bought this land in Shechem where Jacob's well is, which we're going to look at later on in the passage. We know that there was some craziness going on in Shechem too. It was one of uh, uh, Jacob had 12 sons, but he also had a daughter named Dinah who was raped in Shechem and their brothers got mad, had all the men in Shechem get circumcised and then he killed them all. <laughs> they killed them all for what they did to their sister, right? This is also the place where Joseph is buried. Remember Joseph went to, from, to, into Pharaoh, went to Egypt. He said, I don't want to be buried here. Take me and bury him in the land. They buried him in, in Shechem is where we find uh, Joseph's body. And it's this place where we hear these famous words expressed by Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, Joshua 24. He said that when he was in Shechem. So he's, he's on this ground where there's a lot of rich history, theological history, right? Because the Samaritans, they believed in the Pentateuch or the first five books of the Bible. They knew that. That was what they held on to. So Jesus said, I'm going to find some common ground, something we could talk about and get engaged in. Guys, when you're with your friends, what's the common ground that you can agree on? But I also see the human side of Jesus, right? They've been journeying from Judea, going up to Samaria, and he's tired. So he's sitting at a well, and there he is thirsting, right? He's thirsting. He's tired. You see the human side of God, the God-man. Though he was God and did miracles, he hungered and he thirsts. And in that time, it was the heat of the day. The Bible says it was the sixth hour, which is probably around noontime, about 12 o'clock in the afternoon. And he's waiting by a well, patience, thirsty and hungry. Now, we know that Jesus does miracles. We know that he fed the 5,000, right? Jesus could have instantly fed himself. But if you look at the life of Jesus, never did he use his power for his self-glorification. Never did he use his power for his own gain. Never did he use his position for any of that. In fact, him coming to the well was very significant because he's going to gaze into a relationship with a woman at the well. And so we see that in verse 7 through 9, right? This woman comes to the well at 12 in the afternoon. Very significant 12 in the afternoon. Most women didn't come to the well at 12 in the afternoon. They either came early in the morning or they came in the evening because it's too hot in the afternoon. But this woman came to the well because this woman was a different type of woman. This woman probably was known in the city by many men. This woman probably was one of a roughened woman, kind of tough around the skin type of woman, right? She probably was, we know, probably a promiscuous by her story. She probably was rude and rough around the edges a little bit, right? She knew her way around men, and she was kind of a flirtatious woman, but she was a poor woman. That's why she had to come out. She couldn't send a serpent, right? She came to the well, because she, and she was alone. She probably didn't have a lot of friends, a lot of connections, a lot of girlfriends. She had a lot of boyfriends, but not a lot of girlfriends. And so she comes to this well, I love this about Jesus. He says, and the disciples went to go get some food. That's a very interesting statement. Because number one, I think Jesus wants to have some face-to-face -face time with the Samaritan woman. Some personal time. But let me tell you another reason why I think. Remember, the Jews hated the Samaritans. Maybe the disciples weren't ready to engage the Samaritan woman yet by their own racism. Because last time, later on, we'll hear that when they went back to Samaria, James and John, when they didn't want to receive Jesus, wanted to bring fire down from heaven to destroy the Samaritans. So Jesus said, they're not ready yet. Let me send them on a little job so I can have some time with this woman. 
Maybe something, maybe God needs to do some work in us before we start engaging in some other things. Maybe God's got to deal with our own issues. Maybe God's got to deal with our own prejudice. Maybe God's got to deal with our own brokenness. Maybe God's got to deal with that in our own life. Because he's still going to deal with the, with the 12 as you journey through the story. But he sends them away, right? To go get some food. And then Jesus breaks the barrier by what? Could you give me some water? A gentle request. New Living Trust says, please, can you give me some water? Right? He, what does he do? He begins to appeal to her kindness. To her kindness. Right? He's building this relationship. But just like this woman, her experiences, her hurts, her wounds start to manifest because she begins to put up the walls. She begins to, to put up the walls. She, she begins to put up the defense walls, right? That's what our hurts and wounds will do with us. She might even be surprised at his request because he said, what, you're a Jew asking of a Samaritan. That, this is not right. I'm a Samaritan woman. She even knew that she was ostracized. She was outcast by other Jewish people. But I love this about Jesus. Jesus never debated about that issue with her. He never did. He wanted to win the woman, not argue with the woman. Right? There are some arguments we don't have to win. Right? He was building this relationship to draw this woman in, right? In fact, in that culture, a Jewish rabbi would never ever speak to a woman in public. The, the husband had to be present when he spoke to the woman. That's why later on he says, where's your husband? Bring him to me. <laughs> so the, in that culture, we see that. But they hear this rabbi who what? He would tear down some of the cultural things. He'd break down some of the barriers because he's speaking to this woman who others didn't really care for. He's building this relationship with this woman, tearing down traditions for the care of others. Yet her wall goes up. A little defensive in her conversations, right? We see that. But why are you talking to me? Kind of rude, kind of rough. Like, you don't know what you're doing here. This is my homie. This is my neighborhood. What you doing here? Right? But I love that. Jesus keeps us cool. Guys, when you get in conversation with people, they might just put up their walls. They might just be a little rough at the edges. They might just be a lot of that. But love is patient. Love is kind. Love is good. That's what he's doing here, right? And then what does he do? Breaking barriers of spiritual blindness. Now, she, he's going to start talking about water here, right? The, the Samaritan woman was blind to the gift that she was about to receive, the gift that Jesus was going to offer himself. It says, look at 10. Jesus answered and said, if you knew the gift God and who it is who says to give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water, right? If you knew the gift, right? If you knew what this true religion to know is, is, is the gift of God, to know God. Jesus says that our, our salvation is a gift. You are saved by grace. It is a gift of God, it says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Right? We have been given a gift, right? The gift to know God. If you, if you knew who I was, I would have given you living water. But you keep thinking about physical water, right? He's beginning to bring spiritual things into the conversation slowly. He's using what he has around the well and the water to say, you come to the well and you get this water all the time, but you're going to keep coming back to well because you're going to keep getting thirsty. But the water that I'm going to give you will never thirst again. She's not getting it. <laughs> She's blind to the teachings of Jesus. Just like Nicodemus was blind to the teachings of Jesus, Right? When he says, you must be born again, and he goes, well, I got to go up on my mother's womb again. The same issue is going on. She's blind to the spiritual ramifications. Some of you guys this morning, I'm speaking, and I'm speaking spiritually, but you're still thinking spirit physically. Because sometimes the message is going over your head. I, I just don't, don't get it, right? This, I want to give you this living water, reference to spring water. She would have been very familiar with that. It was a play on words there. See, what is he doing? He's spearing on her curiosity. He's drawing her in. What are, you, what are you talking about? Living water. We know that water is symbolic in the Bible, representing the word, right? Husbands, you're to wash your wives with the water of the word in Ephesians chapter 5. The cleansing of the word, the washing of the word. 
You don't even realize you're being washed with the word as I even speak this morning. I'm washing you with the truth. I'm sanctifying you with the truth from your word is truth. That was the prayer of John 17. But yet the woman misunderstood Jesus' word. Look at 11 and 12. The woman said, sir, you have nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from, from it himself? as well as his sons and his livestock. She's, now, now, now she's trying to, she's bringing up a little religious history, right? So she's trying to get spiritual. She's trying to, like, well, where are you going to get this? You know, how are you going to draw this, this water, right? She, the idea of the spiritual things are over her head. She's only relating to the spiritual, right? This, this well, how are you going to draw from this? This, this well is 150, 200 feet deep. You don't even have anything to draw the water from. You don't have the tools. You don't have the, the necessity, right? That's what she's saying. The thing about what she's missing here is that she doesn't realize that Jesus is the one who could care for her. Right? She's thinking, what are you, I'm helping you. You're not even helping me. I'm giving you the water. You're asking me of the water. How are you going to help me? Some of you... Re- see Jesus in that way. How are you Jesus going to help me? We see Jesus in that light sometimes. What is Jesus going to do for me? How is Jesus going to help me? She's coming from that perspective. Now, I don't know if she's being sarcastic or sensitive to the words, but something is definitely happening to her. Something's happening to her internally, right? And so Jesus turns around and offers her living water. Jesus answered and said, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become a fountain of water springing up in everlasting life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may thirst, not thirst, nor come here to draw. So again, drinking from artificial water will make you thirsty, right? We can drink from the well of the flesh. The Rolling Stones sang a song, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. <laughs> right? And they have all that they can desire, but I can't get no satisfaction. That's the same issue that Solomon had when he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. Right? I did. I, I, everything I saw, everything I wanted, everything I had, and it still was all vanity. Go read that book. It's about life and desire. Right? This water from Jacob's well will not satisfy you. Physical water will not satisfy you. Spiritual water, Christ is the living water, right? The water that comes from above, the water that comes from God is better for your health. It's better than vitamin water, right? This water comes from Christ and we drink from that well, right? Right? Everlasting water will spill over into our life. The fountain, uh, I have a fountain in my house and the water comes up through the fountain and sprinkles all out. And because it has this pump, this pump pumps up the water that makes it go out, right? Jesus, in some ways, is that pump. He lives with us and he's pumping out the water so it overspills on our life. Yeah. See, when we walk in the Spirit and God fills us up and God's in us, he gives us life. And that life is overflowing and that overflows into other people. Yes. Uh, so, so. But the water is the spirit, and the water is, is the spirit, the fruit of the spirit, which is overflowing. But maybe our wells are dry. Maybe why we're frustrated and grumpy and don't get along with people and angry and bitter and all this thing is because the well is dry. The well is dry, and you have nothing to overflow with. You're thirsty and you're chapped. Your tongue is dry. Your, your throat is dry. Your life is dry. You've been wandering in the desert, and God says, let me fill you. You need to sit and stop and rest so I can fill you up so you can overflow, right? Jesus said in John 7, 38, he who believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of the heart will flow rivers of living water. Then she turns around and says, she's still kind of processed. Give me this living water. Oh, she's getting it. Then what does she say? So I don't have to come back to this well. <laughs> right? She's still struggling with the spiritual and the physical. Guys, in your process of maturity and becoming disciples, we're all going to struggle with that. Come on, come on. Right? We're going to struggle with the spiritual and the physical. That goes hand in hand, and God will work through that. He's working through this woman here, right? But then begins to break down the barriers of compromise in 16 to 19, right? Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come to her. And the woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said, you have well said. I have no husband, 
for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. The woman said, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Do you see what he's doing? She's drawing him. She's drawing him, right? But you know what God needs to do in our life? He needs to remove the mask. He needs to remove the facade that we have. He needs to remove all the stuff, the walls and barriers that we put up so we don't get wounded and we got to look like we got it all together and we got to look like it's all perfect. Guys, let me tell you, this walk is messy and it can be ugly because it's a part of detoxing our lives of our mess and our junk and our ugliness. And so guys, we don't have to put on the mask here. When I ask how you're doing, you say, just fine, but your week has been hellish. You don't know what you're doing. You got crazy thoughts in your mind. You want to go things you don't want to go do. Your life isn't good and it isn't fine. And it's okay, say, Pastor Pete, it ain't fine right now. Actually, Pastor Pete, it's pretty dark. Pastor Pete, you don't know what's going on in my mind. You don't know what's going on in my heart. But I need Jesus because right now it's pretty dark. See, in order to have true conversion, there needs to be conviction. And he has, Jesus has to get to the issue of this woman saying, look, you've been drinking from a wrong well. That's why you have five men you've been hanging out with and living with and being with. And guess what? They're pipping you with and they're doing all these things. But let me tell you something. I got to remove the mask in order for you to get the healing. We don't, we don't have to hide behind our junk, guys. The Bible says if you confess your sins once or another, healing will take place in your life. I don't care. I love mess here. I love when it's messy because when it's messy, God's doing something in us. God's working in us because if you hide your mess, you're going to torment yourself. You're going to go crazy in your mind. But we hide our mess because what? We don't want people to really know who we really are. We're ugly, broken people. We're misfits. We're jacked up from the floor up. That's who we are. Man, we're jacked up from the floor of people that God wants to use in our mess. Because God's going to use this woman later on in the story. We're going to get into next week where she tells the whole city about this prophet and who she was. And she converts the whole city. And God was still using her in her mess. Listen, people. Take off the mask today. I don't want no mask wearing people here. Because guess what? Broken people come here. Unchurched people come here. Unreligious people, unchurched, everybody comes here. You're all welcomed here with your mess. That's who we are here. And so God, but Jesus had to begin to remove her mess. I love this. No condemnation on her. Like he didn't condemn the adulterous woman. He doesn't condemn her, right? He's just about healing and restoring the relationship. Go get your husband. Well, let me tell you. And she doesn't even really come clean, right? Well, I don't have a husband. Yeah, that's true. I know your story. I'm getting in your business. I know you personally. I know what's in your heart. So you can't hide from me. You can't play that game with me. You can play games with us. You can't play games with God. God knows what's in there and what's going on. Right? He knows what's in my closet as much as he knows what's in your closet. God, bring it to light, Lord. Bring it to light. Right? I just loved and I noticed the patience and the love of Jesus, right? Mm. He's getting personal. I perceive you're a prophet. She's drawing them in gentle words. Sir, I, sir, I perceive you. No longer she rough around the edge. Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. <laughs> Softening her heart. Lastly, guys, as we close here this morning, building bridges brings clarity of the truth. We have to hear the truth. Truth is key. Truth affects our worship. I, I, I like, I'm a sports guy. You guys know that. I've been watching the NCAA tournament. Duke lost last night. Bummed. Okay. I watch football. But there's something about a home court advantage, right? When you're the home team and your people come out and they cheer you on and in some ways they're worshiping you, some ways they're promoting you. And it, it, what it does for the whole team, it energizes that team. It's, it's something about the emotion of the team as much as the words of the affirmation of the team so they could play better and play stronger and be ready for that game. Guys, we're gathering. This is the home court right here, brothers and sisters. And we're worshiping and we're gathering and God is energizing us and strengthening us so that we can go out and play the game. And that's called worship. We're worshiping the Father. We're worshiping God to be energized to, to go out, right? So building bridges starts with refocusing on true worship. Our father worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that Jerusalem is a place where you ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the father. 
You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation of the Jew. But the hour is coming now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeking such to worship, and God is spirit, and those who worship must worship him in spirit and truth, right? Here he's dealing with her mess, and she kind of changes the subject. Kind of like wants to change. You know, you know what people do, you know, when you want to bring out their mess, they're trying to change the subject. And then they want to get spiritual, right? Well, you know, the Bible, the Bible has errors in it. Oh, did Adam really have a belly button? You know, I mean, like they bring out these weird questions to get us off track of what the real issue is, right? That's what she's beginning to do. Well, look at us Samaritans. We worship on this mountain. You Jews worship in Jerusalem. We worship the history of our fathers, but the Jews worship the father. And so what happened is he's trying to placate the location of worship. And he says, enough's enough, man. Location is not the issue. Not whether you worship on this mountain, Mount Gerizim, where the Samaritans mix religions and worship on this mountain, or you worship in Jerusalem. That's not the issue. The issue is do you worship in spirit and truth? We worship every day wherever we're at. We can worship. We're going to worship here the next couple weeks, and then we're going to worship in the park on Easter Sunday. We're still worshiping. The location has nothing to do. Worship is giving something that's worthy our praise and honor and value. We worship God, and worship is 24-7. When we love our wives, we're worshiping God. When we serve our children, we're worshiping God. We're helping the neighborhood, we're worshiping God. We're worshiping 24-7. Worship doesn't stop when we exit out these doors. Worship isn't just singing. Worship is our life. And God is worthy of our worship. God is worthy of our actions. That is worship. And that's what he's trying to tell this woman here, right? He's not concerned about the location. He's more concerned about what's going on in our hearts. And then he says, but true worship in spirit of truth, you have to know who you're worshiping. Are you worshiping true God? Because the God that you seem to be following is not the God of the scriptures. Let me bring it clarity. That's what she, she started why at the well. He's bringing, there's conversation about water. There's conversation about husband. There's conversation about worship. Now there's conversation about Jesus. They're so having this conversation. It's, it's being played out. And the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming who is the Christ. So her experience, her past, her faith past is coming out. The Christ, the anointed one. I know he's coming. She's talking about his first coming. He's already come for us, but this time he is present. He who comes will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Even Jesus sees her in a religious experience, right? I know the Messiah is coming. And then Jesus says, yes, yes, we're heading the right direction now. All right, now I'm I'm bringing you're heading in the right place. You're going the right direction. You're coming near to the kingdom now. I see it happening, Right? Some of you are near to the kingdom today. You're not in yet, but you're near. Okay, you're near to the kingdom, right? He, right? He's at a well. And he begins to stimulate her thirst by talking about the living water. And he keeps her focused. And when she wants to go to a tangent, boom, he drops the bomb. I am he. (laughs) I am the Messiah. I am the one you have been waiting for. Boom, drop my boom right there. I know there's a lot of I am statements. We'll get into that in the Gospel of John. People say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God or just said it right there. I am. I am. He said it right there. Jesus is the Messiah. See, and it's very important to understand that because this is Judea. And when he's moving forward, the, the Samaritans were connected up with the line of, of Jacob through the line of Joseph and his two sons. That's the line that they would think of that they were connected to, right? And so what's going on is he's saying, let me tell you this line. Let me tell you who Jesus, I am he. The one you've been looking for is standing right here at the well. The one who was in the beginning is right here at the well. The one who created all things is right here at the well with you. Nobody wants to be with you, but I want to be with you. You may have been isolated and rejected by your family and rejected by your friends, but God says, I am here. I am the Messiah. I'm here to be with you this morning. So I close with these three things before Brent, Pastor Brent comes up and does communion.
Who is it this week that you must go to to share your faith? What must you do this week? I'm not trying to lay a heavy burden on you. I'm just challenging because Jesus said, I must go through Samaria. Who is it the thing that God's put on you? Who's that one person that you want to share with or invite somebody, right? What barriers are keeping you from coming to Christ? What is the barriers that you put up and say, I don't know if I really believe this thing. You know what I mean? What, what, what well are you drinking from? What are you connected to that God wants to refresh you with some living water? Lastly, what bridges do you need to build to share the truth? What relationships, what things do you need to do to, to go a little further, to go, to go to places you haven't gone yet, to take risks or challenges you haven't gone yet? Who is that person? Who is that place? Who's that person you need to be praying for? Who want to invite for Easter? Those are good things because Easter, most people are open to that. Who is that one person this morning? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. Lord, we thank you for the first part of the story. There's more to the story. We'll get into it next week as we see this woman not really being transformed as Jesus is with her in that moment. Lord, I pray for your people this morning. Lord, I pray your hand upon them this morning. Father, I ask that you would look over them and bless them this morning as they're here. They've heard your word, Lord. Father, I just ask that you would open up the hearts of your people just to receive the truth that you want to give them living water. That's you in them. That's the spirit working in them. Christ in them, the hope of glory. So I pray your blessings upon your people this morning. We thank you. We praise you. We honor you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Guys, maybe there's some people you need to meet this morning that you haven't met in this body yet. There's some friendships you need to establish. We're having lunch after service over here. Join somebody to get to know somebody. That's part of building bridges, not walls. Amen. Blessings. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.